This is the church, this is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Here at the church, here at the steeple, open the doors and see all the people. This is the church, this is the steeple. Open the doors, there's all the people. makes you think that I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord. I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all of your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days of fasting, they are sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon festival or your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. God, it is so easy to read your words and to gloss right over the emotion that you put behind them. Lord, as we read those words today from your prophet Isaiah, I pray that we would read them and we would hear them with all of the meaning and all of the feeling and all of the emotion that you intended behind them. And that while we know they were written thousands of years ago, we believe that there is truth in them still for us today. And so God, I pray that we would hear and we would see what that truth is. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. About three or four years ago, um, I, as a youth pastor, decided to kill one of the longest standing traditions that the youth ministry that I was a part of had taken in. Um, there was an event that happened every year. It was actually the very first event, the very first day on the job in Casper, Wyoming at Highland Park Community Church. The very first thing that I did as a youth pastor on staff there was be a part of the great pumpkin hunt that they had been doing for, I think, 12 or 13 years prior to this. It was an event where the students would go out and they'd, you know, the, the youth leaders would hide these pump, this one pumpkin somewhere in the city, 
And then the students would show up on the night that the great pumpkin hunt would occur, and they'd get these clues as far as where it was. They had to, first they had to go over here. It was, it was a scavenger hunt is basically what it was. They would go, and they would you know, find the answer to this clue, and they would get there, and there would be another clue. And then they'd, you know, they'd go on, and after six or seven clues, they would finally, hopefully, find the great pumpkin. And if you found the great pumpkin, if your team found the great pumpkin, and ideally by the time you got to wherever it was hidden, it could be in a park, it could be under a bridge, it could have been sitting right in the middle of the youth room the whole time and you just didn't know it. But if you were there, hopefully other teams were getting close too, so that as you ran towards this great pumpkin and you're frantically searching for it, you're actually like budding with the other people and you're, you're jostling with them. They'd been doing this for at least, and when it started... It was a fantastic event. Students flocked in for this. They actually played fair at the beginning of it. And the leaders who were driving them around didn't break the speed limit in the first couple of years that this thing happened. But as it went on, and as I got there, probably 12, 13 years in, the great pumpkin hunt had begun to shift. It had begun to morph into something else. It was an event that, it was still a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. Like, we tried to get creative with it to where we could use their, their phones. And at the time, there was this uh, big game out called um, Pokemon Go, I think was the name. Is that the right name? Younger people? Did I get that right? Something like that. Anyway, we tried to utilize that involved in, in playing the Great Pumpkin Hunt. But it became this thing where... Fewer and fewer students attended. The amount of work for us went up. We had uh, students getting more and more upset if they couldn't figure out a clue, if it was too difficult, if they didn't have the right person on their team. We had, we had youth leaders um, driving down the interstate, we'll say at 20 to 30 miles per hour faster than they should have been, especially when they had students in the vehicle with them and, and cutting one another off on the interstate. And, and then the youth leader who gets cut off is upset and he's complaining. And the youth leader who cut him off is like, I didn't do anything wrong. And, and so we had the youth leaders arguing with one another and literally breaking the law in order to try and win this thing. And so as we evaluated... The, uh, the value of the, the quality of this event and whether or not it was still worth it, we finally made the decision that this is going to be the final year of the Great Pumpkin Hunt. I mean, for a decade, students who had won had gotten to sign their name on the side of the pumpkin, and it was immortalized in Highland Park Youth Ministry, at least in the minds of us as the leaders. It was immortalized in Highland Park Youth Ministry. And then we decided to kill it. We had one final great pumpkin hunt. And I had students who hadn't attended this thing in the past two to three years saying, why are you getting rid of the great pumpkin hunt? We love the great pumpkin hunt. And I'm sitting here going, if you love the great pumpkin hunt so much, why aren't you coming to the great pumpkin hunt? Why aren't you showing this, passage, this passion when the event is actually occurring? And so we did. We killed it, and students were coming. I was like, well, what if, what if we bring it back next year just one more time just to see what happens? And I was like, I, I was heartless. I was like, no, it's done. We chopped that sucker in half. It's over. We can't have the great pumpkin hunt anymore. I'm like, well, what if we did the great turkey hunt instead? No, it's done. It's over. We're not doing this thing anymore. In youth ministry, games are a big deal. They're, they're a big part of it. Whether we like to think of it or not, they are, and it was, it was not, if I'm being honest with you, it was not my favorite part of youth ministry was the games. 
I loved it when somebody else organized the game and I just got to play the game. But when I had to organize the game, it brought very little joy to my life. And one of the reasons for that is that I typically heard more of the complaints about why didn't we play this game instead? Why didn't we, why didn't we do this event? Why, I, I don't like that rule. Or, or, you know, someone would break what they knew was the, uh, the, the letter of the, you know, the letter of the law. They knew what they were doing was what they weren't supposed to be doing, but like, but you know what? You didn't literally say that I couldn't do it. And so I'm gonna, and so it just got so frustrating over time, hearing these complaints and seeing people try to do all these different things. There was a man once, you know, I, I probably shouldn't say this. I'm gonna be honest with you, like super honest with you right now. I'm, sometimes I'm over honest and people tell me I shouldn't do this. This message could go like four or five different directions. And I'm not really sure yet which one it's gonna go. So if you would just start praying with me right now, <laughs> we'll see where we end up here in a little while. And I, I, I don't mean that to say like I'm unprepared and I didn't spend any time on this, but it, it could literally go four or five different directions and we're just gonna see what happens. There was a man once who, uh, who made a statement in mid to late 1800s he said, I'm done playing church. I'm done with it. I'm not doing this anymore. This man, was, he was a pastor in a denomination. And as he was in, a pastor in this denomination, he was constantly in battle over whether or not the things that he was saying were okay. He was constantly being pulled before the, the governing body, if you will, and being called to the carpet and saying, you can't teach that. You can't do this. And some of the things that he was teaching that he was getting in trouble for with the denomination that he was a part of was he was teaching things like salvation is through Jesus alone. And he was teaching things like it doesn't matter what your background is. We are a church for anybody who wants to be a part of this. Well, he was living in a society where membership in a church that's how you decided whether you were a Jesus follower, you were not a Jesus follower. Did you follow all these different covenants? Did you say all these different creeds? Did you do all these different things? And he was sitting there struggling and wrestling with this idea that that's not the way that this should be. This shouldn't be the Methodists versus the Baptists versus the Presbyterians versus the Catholics versus the, we can go on and on and on. I, I don't remember the number, but I think the last I heard is there was a hundred plus different denominations of this thing that we call the church that Jesus said, hey, I want you to be unified and I want you to work together. A hundred different denominations. I get asked all the time, what denomination are you a part of? And I get to walk through this process of, well, we are not a denomination. So people immediately, you know, it's, there's different ideas of what it means to be non-denominational. And, and so as we talk about it, I say, well, we're, we're based out of Anderson, Indiana. Um, you know, this is a little bit of our history. And they say, well, how many members do you have? It's like, well, we actually don't have membership. That's, that's one of the things that we were founded on is there's not going to be this idea of you have to do all these things in order to be a member. And, and you can have whatever background you want. All going back to this one guy and, and his group of friends who had this idea that, you know, to be a part of a church body... It shouldn't matter if you used to go to the Baptist church or you used to go to the Methodist church. It should matter is where do you base your salvation and where do you find your, your reason, your hope? Where is all of that coming from? 
I was recently in a conversation with somebody, and we were talking about that, because it, it typically comes up, someone says, what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor, and they say, where are you a pastor? And we walk through this whole process again, and, and I explain that we're a movement, and they say, what in the world does that mean? I said, what it means is we're a denomination, but we don't call ourselves one. And you know, we, uh, we walked through this whole process again, and the, this individual said, well, you know, I was a Methodist, and I just recently became a Baptist. And it hit me as I was walking back out to my car, that, that that was a big part of the foundation that this thing that we're a part of, this church of God, is a part of. That we don't have that identifying, well, I'm a, I mean, you don't walk around saying, I'm a church of Godian. It just, it doesn't sound good. I'm a church of goddess. You know, like, try it. It, it. it feels really weird just saying it up here. But our basis is that, and our, was, and hopefully still is, is that what we are is Jesus followers. And I don't, it doesn't matter what your history was, what church you grew up in, or you know, what local body you grew up in, what, where your membership used to lie. You know, even when it comes to when we take communion, we take the approach of, if this is your very first time setting foot in our church, it's okay. As long as you profess a belief in Jesus Christ, then this is for you. But as time has gone on since 1881, when a man named D.S. Warner and some friends founded this non-denomination denomination called a movement, um, in the years that have gone on since then, there's been a little bit of a shift to being dedicated to the church of God. And, and I say that because it's, I can say that comfortably because that was me for a long time. Uh, I remember when I was growing up and it, it was through no fault of my parents. It wasn't really through any fault of my, my pastor or youth pastor. But I used to have that idea that if you're not a part of the church of God, then you're not really a Jesus follower. You know, maybe some of you have had that same thought when you're talking to somebody else and somebody says, well, I'm a Baptist, and your first thought is, well, here's the problem with your theology, and if you would fix that part of your theology, then you could really be a Jesus follower. Or I'm a Methodist. Well, here's the problem with your theology, and if you would fix that part of your theology and line it up with my theology, then you could be a Jesus follower. And I had that struggle I remember when I went to school at Mid-America Christian University in Oklahoma City, which is one of the four Church of God colleges, this non-denomination that has four colleges, um, when I went there, I remember that realization that came upon me that, wait a second, you're saying that I could end up someday being a pastor in the Nazarene church and still be a Christian? Like, is that really how this, I thought I had to do this one over here, and I thought I had to do all of the things that I grew up doing in the church of God in order to really be a Jesus follower. Now, D.S. Warner was not Jesus. D.S. Warner had some, some theological ideas that I would be willing to stand up here and say that I disagree with. One being, he disagreed with going to the hospital and I believe even taking medication, to the point that they're not totally 100% sure what he died of, but they're pretty sure it was pneumonia. They don't know because he never went in. 
and he never got checked out. So was he perfect? Well, unless you're sitting there and you disagree with me, which, hey, we can have that conversation. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make salvation all about whether or not you agree that it's okay to take medication or not. But that was one of the things that he found to be incredibly important, and he ended up dying probably because of it. Maybe he was right, maybe he wasn't. So he wasn't perfect. But when he founded this thing called the Church of God, it was on salvation by Christ alone. It was on the unity of all believers. The idea that, that this whole thing of we have hundreds of denominations of the capital C church is not healthy. And it's not okay. He ended up getting kicked out of a denomination because of that belief. The other tenet that the church of God that we are a part of was founded on was holiness. The idea that we actually can live a life that Jesus would call us to live. I mean, that's, we can have a big, long discussion on holiness, but that's what we're gonna boil it down to this morning anyway. We actually can live a life set apart the way that Jesus has called us to live, and not just, as we've talked about over the course of this year, say, can't do it, I'm human, there's just no chance whatsoever. So the Church of God was founded on this idea and we're gonna really focus in on one of them. We're gonna focus in on that idea of unity and it doesn't matter what background you come from. It was, it was founded on this idea that we can all come from all these different backgrounds, which means, here's what, here's what happens when you do that. We are coming in with all sorts of traditions and all sorts of different things that we grew up doing when we were growing up in, in our homes or, or in our church local church bodies. We grew up doing all sorts of different kinds of things. What that causes is a really big problem when people are saying, I miss my traditions. I miss the things that I grew up with. Well... So does the person next to you, and they were totally different things. And so does the person four rows behind you. And I think that a lot of this ties back to that passage that we read in Isaiah chapter 1. That it is so easy for us to begin to play church, to go back to, you know, I, I believe in youth ministry and even in adult ministry. I believe that it is incredibly important that we show people that it is okay to have fun and be a Christ follower. We can laugh, we can party, we can jump up and down, we can clap our hands, we can do all sorts of things. Maybe we go about it a different way than some other people do, but we can have fun as followers of Jesus. The problem comes in when we begin to make church, this thing that we do on Sunday, this thing that we do on Wednesdays, on Sunday nights, whenever it is, when we begin to make this all about whether or not I'm having a good time. It is, I, honestly, I think followers of Christ should have a good time and be able to have a good time. But our gathering times and even following him should not be based solely upon whether or not I'm having a good time 
and I am enjoying myself. Because what happens when we begin to do that is we begin to make it all about the things that we're doing. We begin to make it all about, well, we haven't done this in a long time. And I, I want to be careful here because I know that this can really easily fall into the, wow, it really sounds like Justin's complaining that a bunch of people have been whining to him. You haven't. And I appreciate that. I really do. But I know how easy it is to fall into these traps. We've done some things differently over the course of the past year, some because we had to, some because we have for various different reasons. And it would be really easy for us to fall into those becoming our new traditions that we just have to do because that's what it takes to follow Jesus. But when God was speaking to the prophet Isaiah, he was telling them, hey, all of those things that you're doing, all of those those traditional, the, the festivals and the celebrations and the sacrifices that you're making. His words, not mine. I hate them. They make me sick. They're not what it means to worship me and to follow me. When you stop and you look at it, he's the one who told them to do it in the first place. He's the one who told them to sacrifice the animals, was he not? As we read through what came before Isaiah, God is the one who told them that in order to be cleansed of your sins, you bring forth this animal and you sacrifice it. God is the one who told them that every year you remember the Passover. You remember when I brought you up out of Egypt. Every year you remember the new moon festivals. So there's obviously something else going on here. And as we look deeper into it, we begin to realize that what's going on here is they're doing the things, but they're just going through the motions. They're just playing church. You know, we can very easily fall into the trap of we come to church on Sunday morning, we come to church on Wednesday night, we come to church on Sunday night, we go to Bible study on Thursday or Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever day of the week it is. We do all of these things, we open up our Bibles and we read them, but we're doing all of them because we have to do it, because we're supposed to do it. We're just going through the motions. We're not actually worshiping anybody, except possibly ourselves. Sarah and I had a, a conversation, and, and she corrected me on some things, and which she often does. A lot of times I run things by her first, and she goes, wow, you're either really wrong or, wow, if you say it that way, we're going to have like two people here next week. Um, so you all should thank God for Sarah. Um, she's, she's my filter. She's my, I, I'm, anyway, I'm not going to get too distracted on that. But we were having a conversation about worship. And when I, when I say worship this time, I mean worship through song. We were talking about worship through song and how I've been so guilty of this. The number of times that we've gone through a song, whether here or wherever I am, or we've gone through a worship service, and I walk out and I'm saying, man, man, I felt the spirit. I really enjoyed that worship service today. And as Sarah and I were talking last week, I was struggling with this idea that, man, I've been, I've been struggling lately. I'm going to just throw out my struggle to you. 
whether or not that should even be a phrase in my vocabulary of, man, I enjoyed the worship today. Because I'm afraid that as soon as I use that phrase, I'm actually worshiping myself when I'm singing those songs. Our worship isn't about us. If we're sitting here thinking, man, I enjoyed that today, have we stopped to ask the question, well, did, did he enjoy that today? Or on that day when you're walking out and you're saying, man, I just wasn't feeling it today, it was like, well, did he enjoy it today? Were you worshiping him today? Down the road. I have been struggling with the idea of church for probably the past 10 to 12 years. The idea that, that church is about how many people are sitting in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning or how many kids we have in attendance on a Sunday or a Wednesday or a Sunday night, whenever it is. I've been struggling in my time in ministry with the idea that a successful church is putting things on the calendar. You know, it's giving people the opportunity to come together and to, to sing or to learn or to serve or, or whatever it is. It's about getting those things on the calendar for people to to have us and leadership in the church tell people what to do in the church. I've been struggling with that for 10 years. And in places I've been, I try not to look at the, the attendance numbers, but the question almost always comes up when you're in a group of pastors. How many people are in your church? And lately I've wanted to just say, I don't know, a couple hundred thousands, millions? I'm not really sure because the church is so much bigger than the place that I go on Sunday morning. But honestly, I, obviously we can feel it when there's more people in here one week than there were the previous week or when there's fewer than there were the previous week. But I'm working hard to not just go, I'm like, hey, what was, our, what was our count this Sunday? Now, do I believe there is a place to know those things? Yes. But I also have been struggling with this idea that that's not the catch-all, end-all as to whether or not a church is healthy. You know, I used to hear the phrase a lot that, well, healthy things grow. And so if your church is healthy, then it's going to grow. And in my mind, I, I, I was the guy sitting in the room that kept thinking, yeah, but cancer grows too. So it's not just healthy things that grow. Horrible things grow, too. So if that's our basis for, for health, then, man, we could be in a lot of trouble because that doesn't really tell us anything. And so I've really, really been struggling. I've been in the places where it's, you know, the, the youth attendance would kind of, we'd have this big spike and then finals would hit, and you have this really big low, and then you have this big spike again, and then really big low, and, and you sit there and you play the game of how can we bring more people in, and, and how can we do all these things. And I believe that what we do here on Sunday morning matters. If I didn't, then I would just stand up and say, hey, I don't think we should do this anymore. 
And then you would have the decision to make as to whether or not you felt like I should still be the pastor of Monroe City Church of God or not. I believe this matters. I believe that it is important for Christ followers to come together, for Christ followers to worship together, for Christ followers to build one another up, to encourage one another, to walk in the door, to see each other, to give each other a smile. I believe that those things are important. I believe it's important for the people who follow Jesus to know when the person next to them is hurting and to be able to lift them up in the midst of that. I believe it's important for the people who follow Jesus to know when the person next to them is celebrating and to celebrate with them. I believe all of that's important. I believe it's important for us to come in here and to be out of our comfort zone whatever that might be because it might be the comfort zone of somebody else and maybe it will help them feel more comfortable and maybe that will lead them to a decision with Jesus when they find out that this is all about not being comfortable. You know, maybe that will happen, but I believe that this is important, but I don't think this is church. I've been working hard on my vocabulary to stop calling this church. I mean, it's in our name, so it's really hard to do. And people ask you, what church do you go to? And I've been working hard to say, well, the local body of the church that I gather with is in Monroe City. The congregation that I come together with is in Monroe City, but the church that I am a part of is way bigger than this. How many people go to your church? Well, that's a really hard one to put a number on. And not just because statistically about 50 to 60% of people who consider a local church their church actually show up on a Sunday morning. Not because of that, but because it's, it's a whole lot bigger than this. It's so much more than what we're doing here right now. God looked at Isaiah and gave him the words, that I, I hate it when all you do is come together and just go through a bunch of motions. But you know what I want you to do instead? I want you to focus on doing good. I want you to care for the oppressed. I want you to minister to the orphans and the widows. Those are the things that please me. Those are the things that I'm excited about. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, for this is your act of worship. Not all the things over here that you're going through the motions on. It's when you give me everything that you have and you stop making this about yourself. That is when you truly begin to worship me. And so I struggle with, well, does that mean that when I'm here, when I'm thinking about myself, am I actually withholding a part of myself from worshiping him? Because I know that he is not pleased with that. So I've been working on my vocabulary. And I invite you to work on your vocabulary. That the church, the church is when you go to work. The church is when you go serve somewhere. 
The church is when you walk into Walmart or recently Dollar General right here in Monroe City. What, what? <laughs> hey, I got my first applause in the morning. There we go. <laughs> that the church comes together for a small period of time. And it worships together and it gathers together. And hopefully throughout the course of the rest of the week, it builds it, it, itself up and it encourages itself. But it doesn't make it all about the church is me gathering with other people who attend church. But the church is each and every single one of us. And at the same time, none of us. Because it is so much bigger than any one individual. It is so much bigger than any one local congregation. And it is so much more than what we do here on Sunday morning. I told you last week, we can fit comfortably about maybe 400 to 450 people in here. But if we all go out each and every single week... And we become the church every single place that we go. And that's thousands of people that can be a part of the church because of your influence that you're allowing Jesus to use you for. And then there's Vincennes, and there's Cumberland, and there's Lighthouse, and there's Petersburg, and there's Bethany over in Washington and Vincennes. There's all of these different local congregations that are going out every single week, and if we stop making it about this and we make it about that, man, what could happen? What could happen if we stop thinking of church as this? I want to invite you into the conversation about what it means to be the church throughout the entire week instead of just making church about what happens here. I believe that as we make church about more than this, then we'll, we'll have a lot easier time letting go of some of the things that we grasp to and we miss and we lament and we grieve because we'll realize it's not about us anyway. My daughter made the comment, and I apologize if I told you this already, but I was having this conversation. This is my last thought, I promise, of the morning. This is my last one. As we were having a conversation, the band can even come up so they can shut me up here in a second. As we were having a conversation around the dinner table a couple of weeks ago, I was having this conversation with my children about what it means to be the church and that this, this here is not the church. It's a beautiful building, but it's a building. That's all it is. It's a building. I don't know where I'm gonna go for the next two or three weeks because I'm using so much stuff that I planned on saying later. But there was a point where Jesus walks out of the temple and his disciples say, look at these beautiful buildings or look at this, look at this beautiful plate and Jesus turns around and he says, oh, you mean, you mean all those bricks? Because that's what that is. That's a pile of bricks. And so I'm having this conversation with my children and Tegan, our middle child, eight years old, finally asked the question. He said, so daddy, what you're saying is, when we cross the parking lot, because we live across the parking lot, when we cross the parking lot and we walk into that building, 
then we're taking the church to the building. When we're not here, this is just a building. When we walk in, the church enters the building. When we walk out, the church enters the community. Where the church is supposed to be looking at the oppressed and the poor and the needy and the orphans and the widows and the imprisoned. The church is supposed to be seeking justice and loving mercy and walking humbly. When we come in, we bring that same attitude into the church. And when we walk out, we take that attitude into the community. I hesitate to even say Monroe City, we can go out and we can make a big difference and we can be a church because I wanna say Monroe City, we can walk out and we can join the church in our community. Not fight with, not compete with. We may do all of those things and never see another person's backside in a seat on Sunday morning. And yet the church can explode in size. As we finish up here this morning, I would invite you to just join join us in that prayer of God show us what it means to be the church when we walk out of this building would you stand with us one last time this morning before you're dismissed before short conversations, the door, the engines hiss, before Sunday lunch, Sunday nap, Sunday that, Sunday this, before your errands and plans and inevitable to-do list, before you wake up tomorrow just to forget whatever you promised, whatever God taught us, whatever you've jotted down on your journal, phone, or wrist, before you're dismissed. I just wanna say that Christianity is not what you've done here today. This was half a percent of your week. 168 hours minus 56 for sleep, 112 to be alive, and this one that's now complete is supposed to spread like yeast to make leaven the loaf of the other 111? Which begs the question, are you trying to do in one day what God has meant for seven? So before you're dismissed, be reminded of this. Church is not only what you've just experienced, but exists in a life outside these walls that hears the words of Christ and answers their calls. So before you go about your other 111, remember that only when you leave the church building can you create the kingdom of heaven.